You're listening to episode 86 of the Comics Pals, where a group of comic book journalists and friends record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Well, everyone, today is Sean's birthday, and as a result, he sent me over 10 rules that he'd like us and the listeners to abide to for the sake of his own sanity and for the sake of running a smooth five-star podcast. And now, per his request, I'm going to read them all to you. Number one. No jokes about pirates. That's fair. Number number two. Uh, I I have a I have a quick question. I apologize for interrupting. Uh, which is probably it's on the, the list. Next Don't one. worry. That's against the rules. Is um, are these in order of importance? Sean. Uh no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Just blanket okay. rules. All right. They're all equally yeah. important okay. rules. <laughs> number two. No disparaging comments about Cyclops or especially Jean Grey. In parentheses, it says Kale. Yes. All right. I was, I, I was hoping that was number three. Parentheses, Kale. All right. <laughs> number three, if you're a listener, remember to go on Apple Podcasts and leave the show five stars and to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube and to follow us wherever your podcasts are sold. Seems reasonable. Number four, Pete, do not derail the show with advertisements for Olive Garden's Unlimited Soup and Salad and don't <laughs> reference your favorite cartoon family guy. <sighs> okay. Number five, Kale, no sardonic or sarcastic comments towards Sean's interests. Then what am I here for? <laughs> it's a very listen, riveting analysis. I, I, under, I understand it's your birthday, but listen, there are some things that go against my being. Fair. Yeah, I mean. Then cease to be. It's his birthday. Number uh, six, Marco, please no comments pertaining to anime or Swamp Thing. Uh, I'll try. Thank you. <laughs> Number seven, <laughs> Phil, you're good and my best friend. Oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, no disparaging comments about Brian Michael Bendis today, please. Oof. Oh, oh, God. On this episode? <laughs> I'm wavering on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, if you use my restroom this week, please clean up after yourself. Yeah, dig! <laughs> 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 and finally, number 10, always remember, Sean is. I like that, I like that last one. <laughs> Sean is what? Oh. So please follow those rules in accordance with Sean's birthday. I don't get it. He's, huh? he's the birthday boy. Sean is the birthday boy. Oh. Can we, can we amend number eight to not interrupting Sean? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I personally... I'm uh, unopposed to shitting on Shut Brian Michael Bendis. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go ahead and have to log off on this episode then. I just can't, like, I can't. Too, I can't. Too much working against you. That's right. It's almost like he made it very difficult for you three to do an episode this week. If Marco can't talk about anime or Swamp Thing, or if Pete can't plug the Olive Garden or Family Guy, what are we doing here? I mean, like, it's almost like we would have a good episode of the show if we would all just shut the fuck up. Well, for one uh, episode out of the year, you guys have to follow my rules. Thank you, Phil, for uh, eloquently stating them for me so that I didn't have to do it myself. Um, and I appreciate the fact that you were able to sneak in some plugs, but I do have to criticize you um, because it's wherever your social media is sold. And uh, um, that's where you guys you can find fucking us. fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. hey, no, no right. interrupts. 
<laughs> no one erupts. Thank you. Thanks. It's broke Kyle. rule number eight, dude. Come on. Already. And you're the one who amended it. <laughs> you broke your own rule, Marco. You got one rule on the list and you already broke it. Yeah, and I would recommend I'd recommend that you guys stop because there will be punishments at the end if you don't. Ooh, promise. <laughs> <laughs> We're introducing new oh, kinks no. this episode. <laughs> All right. So uh, as for the rest of the plugs, uh, yes, today is my birthday. And as a gift, I I well, I appreciate a lot of different things that you could send me theoretically. Um, I, I yet I don't have any kind of cool like Jean Grey or Cyclops busts. So I'd appreciate those. I do. Um, do that's you want mine? Great. Kale. Rule number eight. You can't have it, you fuck. Yeah. No, Kale. Rule, eight, rule number three, Kale. too. No disparaging and comments three. about Jean Grey and Cyclops. That wasn't disparaging. I have. I feel like it was undercut. All right. <laughs> this is a genuine statement. <laughs> uh, so, I also appreciate likes and comments and subscriptions over on YouTube. You guys can jump over there and give me the gift of YouTube. Well, the road to YouTube money uh, by... Helping us out and subscribe to our channel. It's free to do and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. We are also at the comics pals at gmail.com uh, and you can hit us up on there. Um, and uh, what else? That's it. That's it. <laughs> well, bye, everyone. Yeah. Today's a big day. Lots of news. Uh, DC had a massive week and we're going to be talking about everything that happened in their world uh, here really soon. But. We do have some business to get to before that, uh, and we're going to start with a question that I have for you guys. Oh, God. Sorry, I was waiting to see if Kale's going to interrupt me this oh, week. I think that means it's time for the random question. I think it week. might be. Yeah, good call, Kale. Yes. Oh, son of a bitch. Yeah. You yeah. son of a bitch. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I didn't see, I, do you see how easy that was? I didn't even have to shout. Ass. You got well, no stage presence, man. You got no sense of production. You got to be a hype man for this segment, okay? Uh, How are people supposed to know that it's time for the random question of the week? If you don't yell. Uh, How are they going to know? <laughs> How are they going to know? It was the gravity of my undercut that let them know. And you ruined Marco, it. Marco, what is, what's going on right now? Um, I wasn't, I wasn't listening. I'm sorry. How could you not have been listening? <laughs> well, uh, hello, my ears got blown out. So, you know, what? Oh, well, that's, that's fair. That's a good point. So, uh, I've been thinking a lot about things that, things that matter, right? Uh, it's my birthday, you know, time of reflection. And I've been thinking a lot about the things that are important. And, uh, I've been thinking about what comic books really have become a part of my sort of identity, right? Uh, and so I thought I would ask you guys, and this is a little twist on what I've been thinking about specifically, but over the last five years, what comic books would you say have really stuck to you and become a part of your essence? On a, on a bad day, identity crisis, because it makes me question everything about myself. <laughs> That didn't come out five years ago. <laughs> it was just a joke. I didn't <laughs> Um. So it's like in the past five years, or something? Yeah, that was, a book that's come out in the last five years. Yeah. So 2013. Hmm. Do we? Is it? Do we just be one book, or is it like multiple? 
Um, just give me like a couple. It's fine if you have a couple. And we can amend it and just say this decade, so from 2010, because I don't want to get into, oh, did this come out in 2012? Okay, I was going to yeah. say that's way easier. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know when these books. Oh, yeah, I do. I would say for me, I think it's Headlopper probably and Kaiju Max uh, are the ones that come to mind first. Uh, probably Kaiju Max more because it's such like a as like it's such like a visceral like prison story, and it's so like <clears throat> it's so not the kind of thing that I would normally be into, except for the fact that it's other than the prison story, it's everything I'm into. Uh, it's got, you know, the tokusatsu characters, it's got the, the kaiju monsters, it's, it's got the drama, and it's, it's, um, it's everything that's encompassed, even just my, my past year, um, it, it just sticks with me so hard, because it's so visceral. I really thought you were gonna say a Scott Lobdell book. I hate this. I hate, I hate you. <laughs> Um, I think for me, it would probably be Saga uh, and Harrow County. Um, Saga specifically because it sort of reeled me into the image world and sort of let me expand. And it's a book that I have a, a fondness for because I have seen these characters grow for the past like five years, four, like four or five years. And uh, it's been one of the, it's, it is one of the longest running comics I personally own. Um just because of the, the the series that I follow. And then also um, Harrow County, which is a horror book by Cullen Bunn, Tyler Crook. I talk about it a lot. And it's sort of the book that transitioned me away from a more gothic and a more, um, I guess, dramatically flared <clears throat> horror. And it pointed me into like more modern stuff uh, within the horror genre. Awesome. So I had to really think about this. A few that came to mind was uh, Morrison's relaunch of Action Comics, that first 18 issues. I really liked it. I thought it was a really good uh, reimagining of what it would be like if the mainline continuity of Superman was uh, started over fresh. I thought there was a lot of neat ideas. I thought the narrative structure was really innovative. It really bounced all over the place, which is a very Morrison thing to do. <clears throat> I also thought of Warren Ellis's Moon Knight run, which is only like 12 issues. But if there was ever a book that was like, the lo-fi chill hip-hop beats of comic books it's that 12 issues <laughs> <laughs> it's the chillest shit and then the third one is probably the thanos imperative by uh, dan abnett and andy lanning it was the um it was the conclusion to this seven year uh cosmic epic story that started with keith giffen and continued through from annihilation to conquest to uh war of kings realm of kings with the guardians of the galaxy and nova uh, into this final climatic story with the cancer verse where Nova and star Lord, uh, combat Thanos in a place where people can't die. It's, it's incredible. Six issues. Um, and everything that's come out of cosmic Marvel, uh, in the wake of that has felt like a poor imitation. Um, so that's probably like the three, my the three those were the three books that came to mind first uh, from the last seven years or so. Awesome, Pete. Um, <clears throat> so for me, uh, these are some tried and true answers. It's just like a lot of books that have um, been my favorites in recent years fall right into this category. Um, so I would give another nod to Saga, but you know I don't really need to go into it too much. Um, Brian K. Vaughn's one of my favorite writers, and I just feel like that book really 
has been a meaningful evolution of him as a writer. You know, I think um, Why the Last Man was like a book that hit me in my teens in a really meaningful way. And Saga is a book that's spoken to me as a young adult um, in my 20s. And um, so that, that's one that's definitely stuck with me. And then, uh, I mean, the obvious one is Invincible. Uh, Invincible's, you know, um, a, a book that came to me at the right place at the right time, too, you know, because I had been kind of, I'd gotten back into comics in a really meaningful way. Um, uh, thanks to The Walking Dead, like that, it kind of exposed me to image and I was looking for something new. And, uh, you know, I had fallen out of Marvel right around the same time. And, um, you know, Invincible kind of became my uh, Spider-Man surrogate, you know, and then uh, I found a lot more to love about it because I think it evolved into something that was um, bigger and better than even my favorite Spider-Man runs. So, uh, yeah, I think of that's my favorite comic. So that's an easy answer. That answer is about to change, though, because you're finally going to go back and read Dan Slott's Spider-Man run. And that's going to (laughs) become the book for you. You never know. What if he came? What if? What if he came back and he was like, "Guys, have you read Superior Spider-Man? Holy fucking <laughs> shit!" Uh, I'm actually about to go read that for the first time. Oh yeah? Yeah, I skipped it because uh, I just was against that whole movement. I but yeah, I want to give it a shot. I was at first too, and I uh, when it got to the ending, uh, it, I I had picked up on something early on when it first happened. And then it sort of came true. Uh, and, like, that was how they, like, figured it out. And I was like, oh, holy shit. All right. I can't believe he fucking did it. So, in other words, you like a book when Kale was right. <laughs> Dog, if I have to say that by now, what are we even doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so, my answer is uh, Rick Remender's Low. Uh, Oh, nice. That book is incredible. Um, I think it it really encapsulates what it's like to be both a hopeful person and then uh, at other times in your life a hopeless person. Uh, He built up a cast of characters that are going to be with me forever uh, that... Any time, at any point in time, I can go back to that book and read it. I mean, it's not even over yet, but I can go back and reread those issues and have those same feelings and have it hit me in the same way. And um, he, he, he's bearing his soul on that book in a way I don't know that he is on any other. And so that's – it's hitting me. I feel that from him. So uh, I, I love what he's done with that book. And then another Rick Remender book uh, – that's where I've been in, in, the, in this decade is in Rick Remenderland, uh, is Uncanny X-Force. Oh, nice. Yeah, that, that was incredible. Uh, the most important run on, X, on X-Men that has happened since I've been alive. Uh, I celebrate it more even than Joss Whedon's run, and that's high praise. I think Astonishing was really good. Um, so... Yeah, that's that's me. Yeah, Sean actually got me to buy Uncanny X Force uh, in Philadelphia Wizard World. Oh yeah, did you ever read it? Well, not yet. It's it's on the pile. Nice. The dreaded pile. The dreaded pile. Wait, was that this year? Yeah, that was literally last month. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, so let's jump into our let's jump into our pals polls. So for Marco, we've got Space Riders. 
volume two. Yes, I've been waiting for this book for actually when we had first gone to maybe last year to Pete's and we went to his local comic book shop and I picked up just a, a, a single issue of Galaxy of Brutality, which was the second series by Alexis Zeret and uh, Fabian Rangel uh, for uh, Space Riders. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I've, I've, heard a, I've, I've heard a lot about it. And I wanted to go back, picked up volume one. I loved it. We have a book club on it where I hosted, and some might say it's one of our best episodes and best hosted episodes. Some um, might say. Some might say, most would say, you're right, correct. A, um, a lot of really smart people are saying it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> How, uh, <laughs> since you, have you read the rest of Space Riders? I haven't, uh, I haven't, so I'm very... volume, I mean. I've only read the first and second issue, and um, it was at a point where I hadn't read the first trade, so I was lost. Uh, I haven't gone back to those issues after reading the first volume, so I'm very excited for this to be collected and so I can finalize the the series. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely um, let us know what you think about that. Yeah. And go check out our book club. Yes. Plugs, plugs, plugs. We've got uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 801. Yeah, um, so obviously this one's by my favorite Spider-Man writer, Dan Slott. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, so this is this is the uh, the last issue on Dan Slott's run. Um, we reviewed Spider-Man 800 when it came out, um, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, and um, that makes sense. It's a bi-monthly bi book. Um, so yeah, and uh, I actually found a lot to enjoy in it. I was surprised. Uh, I, I came out of the issue uh, feeling really high. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what's the goodbye issue for uh, for Mr. Slot here. And even more excited to see it change hands to my boy Ryan Otley as the artist uh, in another two weeks with Mr. Nick Spencer. So um, very excited to see what we get here and uh, looking forward to the future of Amazing Spider-Man for the first time in a long time. Hydra Spider-Man. <laughs> Don't do that to me. Don't fucking do that to me, Marco. Come on. Hey, Mary Jane. Hail Hydra. <laughs> oh, man. Could you imagine the backlash? <laughs> now, Dude, like, <laughs> let's annul our marriage again. I remember. <laughs> Cue to be just sobbing on my bathroom floor, totally naked in the fetal position. Wait, why are you nude in this? <laughs> because it's I'm shaved. Because that's how he reads comics, Sean. With Mary Jane in there, he does. <laughs> oh my. Uh, so I I chose uh, Justice League number two. I really liked the first issue. Uh, Kale and I reviewed it when it came out. Two weeks ago. Yep. Last week. <laughs> I think it was last, last week. Yeah. week. It was last week. Yeah, it was last week. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and I, I liked it enough to put it here. So uh, check it out. Scott Snyder. Um, really good stuff. Uh, Legion of Doom. They rock. <laughs> and uh, I also chose Tony Stark Iron Man number one. So this is Dan Slott. Uh, this is going to be his first book. After his amazing Spider-Man run ends, so we're getting the last chapter of his Spider-Man work and the first chapter of his Iron Man work, both in the same week. I think Dan Slott makes a lot of sense for Iron Man, and I can't wait to see what he does with this book. I think it's going to be great, and um, really looking forward to it, so can't wait to check that out. Now, we're reviewing some books this week. 
Uh, we are still on the Man of Steel train, although maybe not that much longer based on what Mr. Bendis did with this one. Uh, so let's jump right into it. Man of Steel number three. Pete, you had the most visceral reaction, so why don't you start? Uh, so I, I, I got up uh, two, two hours before the recording today to make myself a nice breakfast and read our, our selection for today. And uh, it took me nine minutes to get through this issue. Um, I had for, I had forgotten to read it, and I saw your message, and I went, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, I don't know, man. Like this was just, um, yeah. I think I think Kale threw out the criticism of the second issue, where he's like, I mean, it was a second issue, and I'm just like, ah, I mean, I I guess this was a third issue. <laughs> like for for me though, like I. For me, it felt like it was more nothing. No, like really, like, it just felt like it was just stretching out the stuff that he's already laid for us. We've already we've already seen Superman fight this guy, you know, in the in the Zero issue or the Free Comic Book Day, whatever. And right. like uh, the 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 moment with Lois and and John and whatever's invading their house is getting no real it's not moving like we're seeing the same image over and over and it's just not doing anything i feel like by the third issue we should at least see what's going on yeah i mean i felt that way last issue yeah and for them to just give me the same scene with a silhouette and some green lights it's like okay like i guess we're waiting for another issue like what the fuck are we doing here I, I've been really high on this book, and I've come to its defense the last two issues. Uh, this is very hard to defend. I had big problems with this. I thought Bendis' script was weak. I, I really thought it was weak. It, it didn't bring anything interesting to the table. I wasn't a fan of Superman's dialogue here, or his internal monologue, I should say, um, really at all. I, I thought it, it was just, I don't know, seeing Superman think the word chutzpah, not for me. It's very you know, Bendis. And yeah, Bendis does that with every single character. He has them say those kinds of words, and they're fine words, but I just don't really, that's not, I don't really hear Superman thinking that. That's weird. Um, there was also, uh, there was that, that one page where, I, and I, I thought I had pulled it out, to criticize it but um it had that very bendis speak kind of thing like when phil makes fun of bendis speak where it was like he asked like three or four or five rhetorical questions in a row you know like does it matter more that it's on my turf yeah it does it's just like uh, okay yeah yeah when when uh what's his name raggles are we still uh, don't know his name for us he's in like that's how bad it is ragu ragu, ragu. <laughs> Ragu. No, Ragu magician. No, no, it was Ragu. Rollo okay. Zolfar. <laughs> this is a jar of red sauce. Go on, Sean. So when when Ragu... Uh... Broke-ass Lobo. <laughs> no interrupting Sean. Rule eight, motherfuckers. Punishment. Yeah, come on, guys. There's going to be punishment. Uh, Ooh. So... <laughs> Go on. Not for you, Kale. Uh, so... He, he invades the Fortress of Solitude, and I'm supposed to care about this because 
he took Candor, but I feel like I've seen those people come out of the bottle like a million times. Yeah, since I've been reading Superman books in in general, like I feel like most writers do do a really good job of like triggering my fear of something happening to the people of Candor and like the city of Candor. But here, I I felt that for a, a hot second, and then I was like, okay. And it goes back to a criticism that you guys had levied against this book initially, which is he's retreading a lot of ground that other writers have kind of utilized already. And it, it I know that as a, a writer, you don't have to do this with Superman. There's a way to tell... Go ahead. He's doing it thinking he's doing something new, too. Right. The presentation is like, look at this. This well, yeah, and you, can, and you can you can tell by the way he's trying to name random people in Candor, and it's like, I mean, yeah, I agree, Superman probably would know all their names, but like, uh, we've seen it. Even I know Candor has been taken before. Like, come on, bro, I, I'm <laughs> give, give me something new. I think after one year later, it was destroyed, and then it came back, right? And then it was grown into a giant planet of people in uh, New Krypton. Like, nothing is di- nothing special. Like, man. I haven't even said my opinion on this yet, but it's not good. I, I think um, the whole new comic book day thing definitely undercut this a lot, too, because it's like they like had the, the cover was like, oh, like we're finally going to reveal the ch- person who's really behind Krypton's d- demise or whatever. And it's like, you mean that guy that we already know has taken credit for it and you've alluded to it the last two issues? And It's not that. It's it's all right. So Bendis has introduced this new character. Ragu. That's that's now Comics Pals canon. Yes. And Bendis has been trying to hype him up so much in like a bad writer kind of way. Uh, it makes me think when Scott Lobdell was writing Superman proper and he introduced like that bizarre looking guy. The same I, fucking guy? I can't remember his name. He, he Supergirl had like an affair with yeah. him or some shit. Yeah. Uh, it was really bad. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but, like, that. it's when this author who comes in on a new book is like, I need to make my mark by making the biggest, baddest, strongest dude as a threat to the protagonist. And it falls. Oh, Earth 2 Marco. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's the it's the Doomsday technique. Yeah, and then you're right. The difference is that Doomsday did something that hadn't been done. He killed Superman, and Superman was gone for a year. And anytime in the Silver Age Superman died, it was a hoax. It was a misleading thing. That that's his claim to fame, and that's why he's been utilized twenty years later. With this, we've seen Candor destroyed, and Bendis uses it in a there's there's a poor writing thing that a, a poor writer does is when they try to do something that's big in scale to try to evoke a reaction out of a reader or a viewer in the case of like a film or a TV show, and they haven't earned it yet. Bendis has been on this for three issues. He destroys the city of Candor. It's not earned. There was not, He's relying on 70 years of continuity to build up this this like case of like, oh, Candor. Not the lost city of Candor, but like he hasn't done anything with Candor for us to care about it. That said, we, we don't know what happened to Candor, right? Like we never saw like the actual jar. So yeah, we don't know if it's Well, strong. we know it'll be well, back eventually. Yeah. No, I think I think we did. I thought we saw the bottle on the floor in that pan out shot with him and Supergirl. I also thought that, but regardless, we it will it will be back. 
inevitably, right? Yeah. And, and again, to your to your point, like New Krypton wasn't that long ago. No, it was you know? nine years ago. No, Pete, it wasn't. It wasn't the bottle. It was uh, that was Kellex, one of Superman's fortress robots. Oh, uh, okay. I, I guess because I remember him getting torn apart. I, I thought in that shot that it was the like the skyline of the city, like crumbled. No, you know. The, no. Okay. And the dialogue here was the most Bendis of uh, so far in the series. Yeah. And I liked in the first issue, and to a lesser extent, the second issue, how reined in it was. Because if you go back and read like Bendis's Daredevil, there's not a lot of that. This is something that's evolved over the years. The, the other thing I, I, I wasn't a fan of uh, was the inclusion of Batman. Yeah. Uh, that felt super shoehorned yes. in. Uh, Batman doesn't need to be in Metropolis to deal with arsons. He's got his own problems. Like, I'm sure the Joker's running around. He's about to get married. He's got to find a suit. Like, this is, this is a waste of time. Uh, I didn't hate that. What I didn't like was that all he had to add was, oh, yeah, sometimes if you put the pins on a map, it makes a shape. I beat the penguin because the pins made a penguin on the thing. I, right. Well, he, he casually mentions the penguin trying to murder a world leader. And I was like, why would the penguin do that? That's not his MO. This is Bendis doing, like, trying to world build and, like, not knowing things about the characters. Well, and, and I think, I, I, like... I agree with you, Sean, but only because the execution was so poor. Like, I feel like if they wanted to have a – or he wanted to have a Batman cameo, that would be fine. But, yeah, to, I, I'm with Kale where it's like he shows up for two pages, a, a page and a half, and then and then the, the next time it's like, oh, I let Batman go home because if something happens, I'm going to need <laughs> yeah. him to get the Justice League. It's like, so why was he even here? Like, why did we even have these two pages? And also – I just wanted to point out one thing that that really drove me nuts, and this is like a nitpicky grammar thing, but like, do you really think that Batman would say if the politest man in the galaxy, I thought that the too. most the most polite man in the galaxy, Brian Michael Bendis? Damn, you didn't get that. <laughs> Sorry, like that should have been I, I'm, by not, I'm not one to get nitpicky about shit like that, but it's like it's Batman, like Batman, like is very smart. Yeah, and he does. He speaks very like very goodly, um, thoughtfully. Yeah, he's a fucking wasp. Yes. Thank you, Marco. Goodly. goodly. Yeah. One one thing about Bendis that I've learned over the years is that he's a he's an awful awful speller, and it's like an inside joke with him and like various editors on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> I I I just like the the idea that everybody at DC got like his script and went fuck. All right, we'll fi- we'll fi- we'll fix that, but we can't change Bendis's ideas. We have to the politest man on earth. All right, I guess Batman's saying that. <laughs> nah, come on, editorial. Where were you on that one? Just change it. He wouldn't even notice. <laughs> I've, I've, Was uh, there anything? Go ahead, Marco. Sorry, I've prepared a statement for this. Um, <laughs> as part of the Pals organization, I uh, am required uh, to read the next upcoming issues of Man of Steel. Thank you for your time, listeners. <laughs> well done. actually obligated. Was there anything you guys did like about the issue? Uh, I thought the art was good. Yeah, Ryan Sook was good. Yeah, yeah. there there are some really good moments. Like I think um, specifically, uh, 
And I think it's funny because we've called out pages like this in the last two issues where they didn't work because the moments didn't feel earned. But I thought the transition from the Superman leaves without saying goodbye, he probably has a reason to go, to him arriving at the Fortress of Solitude. Like the him like cutting through the sky and there's just like that red, you know, like uh, icon coming towards the ground. And then the close up of his eyes with the fire and the smoke as he arrives at the doorway is, yeah. is really, really, really well done. Had really good beats like in progression of time and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just a really um, well executed moment, I thought. So I did want to give particular attention to that because I think. As much as some of this stuff's been a mixed bag, the art's been pretty consistent on this book. That said, the the panel where he's crying and Supergirl is holding him was I hated that. Bad. Panel. Yeah, I hated that. It's ugly. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I liked anything about this. I like just like scanned through all the pages, and I don't think I liked anything in this issue. Likewise, to be honest, I I there was nothing here that was redeeming for me. Uh, I'm hopeful that the next issue turns it around, but it seems like it's going to be a fight issue, and that's the least appealing part of this whole drama. How, so. how is Superman ever going to overcome this uh, pasta jar? The sauce of pasta. So you see what Superman's going to do, right? He's going to get. He's going to cook some nice meatballs. He's going to get a nice no, pork no, no. shoulder. You're not he's going to get some to Italian sausage. I'm not plugging the Olive Garden, you piece of shit. I'm teaching the kids how you make a nice sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Olive Garden sounds like something. Olive All right. I, I do want to say All this. All right. Um, the things that work in the first two issues are the stuff where Superman is Superman. Um, like interacting with characters in Metropolis or his family in the case of the first issue. The stuff that's always fallen flat in all the issues is the stuff with the jar of pasta sauce. And this issue really focused heavily on the sauce and it was the worst issue by far. I, I thought I thought Ragu was pretty strong in the first two issues. I, I didn't care much for the bar scene, but other than that I did enjoy what they did with him. It just feels like he's going from a like decently nuanced character with some interesting mystery and progressing more and more into just a hulking like monster every issue. Into a punching bag, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was ultimately just going to be somebody that Superman's going to roll over in issue seven. Probably. Yeah, and I, I have to say, like, uh, even for the praise I have had for the art, I just fucking hate his design he's so uninteresting like he just looks like such a generic like 90s early 2000s big hulking alien hold on, guy hold on like, pete hold on yeah are you not paying attention he's got one red eye and one blue eye wow oh, just like superman's costume oh. no 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 the red eye no? is from the jar of ragu Ragu. <laughs> so do you think that makes him a red villain or a blue villain? Oh, I don't know. Can we just talk about the Magic Order now? Yeah, so let's jump over to the Magic Order. This is the first book coming from the relationship between Malar World and Netflix. Uh, oh, shit. Marco is holding up the back of the book, which does say Netflix on it, which lets you know it's real. Uh, what'd you guys think of this? I, uh... I don't know. I, th I thought this was like a pretty strong first issue. Um, I, I thought it laid some threads I'm interested in. Um, I think Olivier Coipel. Uh, Coipel. Uh, I, I really liked his art. 
Um, I, he has that very like detailed kind of sketchy style, but like the line work on people's faces and stuff to like show shadow work and stuff like that. I thought was really good. Um, I, you know, I think in general, I'm, I'm really interested in, uh, in, in what's going on here. You know, I, I think the whole, um, like mobster kind of vibe to it is really cool. The whole like, you know, you don't mess with the family or whatever. Like, it, it, it's cool in this magical environment. And that was what spoke to me about the initial pitch. Um, and that that tone is working for me here. Uh, I'm, I'm a little interested to figure out, like, when we're, like, what year it is. Like, I couldn't tell if it was set in the modern era, if it was in, like, you know, maybe a couple years ago or something like that. Um, but I'm really interested in, in like, the, the story of, like, this Moonstone family that we've met, you know? I think, like, the... You know, the patriarch, I don't remember his name, but he seems like, King. yeah, um, he, he, uh, <laughs> he seems like a pretty interesting character. I, I'm interested in his, his three children, uh, specifically, um, Cordella or Cordelia, I guess, who is his daughter. And then the older son who seems to be kind of like out of the game or whatever. Like, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of interesting family drama and the setting is really working for me. So, uh, and, and it didn't seem like it was the way some Mark Millar books can get where it gets very over the top, you know? I think it'll get there. Um, and it probably will, but the, there was, I thought, a fair amount of restraint um, in terms of, like, the sex and violence angle, which is clearly going to be a theme throughout this story. So this was clearly, like, an issue to establish setting and characters, but I couldn't help but feel the pitch here was... <clears throat> Mark Millar going to Netflix and saying, what if I did The Godfather with magic? Because you have the one son who's out of the game, that's Michael Corleone. You have the daughter, I forget her name. Um, like it's, And it's like all about the family. And I feel like Mark Millar's interpretation of The Godfather with magic, is gonna, he's not going to like have the same nuance that like Francis Ford Coppola had. And that's an unfair comparison, obviously, because it's like one of the greatest films ever. But I don't have confidence in Mar as a writer to have like any sense of nuance. So as a first issue, it was fine. I didn't have any issues with it um, because it just laid the groundwork. But I feel like he's going to try to tell some kind of meaningful story in his eyes, and I don't think he's going to land it. It's a hunch. Uh, yeah, I think... I, so go ahead, Marco. Sorry. Um, no, I thought... Uh, similar to P, I thought this was a good issue. I like the way that it sort of sets up the characters and it sets up the world. Um, it, it is in the modern era. I, I was just looking through, and there's a, a woman on like in a grocery store with, a, with her iPhone talking. Um, okay. Yeah, and um, I I like the the sort of the progression of the story and like the flashbacks, and it, I think it's really done well with uh, Olivier's art. Like, there's a moment where they're in the grocery store and um uh, gabriel's being talked to and then like the page flips over about it's like did you ever miss the wonder and then there's like this flashback and there's like this huge uh single page or just a monster and like he's a little kid and uh yeah. there, there's a lot of um uh, some emotion gets pulled through uh pretty well i think and uh one thing in particular i did like the the sort of use of magic and the creativity around it uh, the, the last couple, the last couple of pages where they sort of have a uh, a specific like a changing spell, 
and like everything kind of gets like all blocky it was a really cool visual and i think the the visuals in general especially when like madame albany comes and like everything gets dark and misty uh i think i think those are really executed pretty well um as to where the story goes i i i have some i have some faith in mark millard just knowing some of his other stuff he's done with image so i do see it sort of maybe not necessarily having a, a message per se but i do think there's a story there yeah, I I was I was definitely very into this. Uh, I like what Mark Millar is setting up here. I think that uh, I agree. I agree with Marco. The use of magic wasn't super basic. They weren't just throwing you know magic bolts out there. Yeah, right. yeah. there was some some cool elements to what he did. Um, and I think to to your point, Phil, about. Uh, the lack of nuance on the part of Millar. I think I would agree with you if it was like 2013, but because of what he's done with Huck and because of what he did with uh, Reborn, I, I, I think Millar has shown he has some range. Empress also, he's shown he has a little more range. Oh, uh, as long as he... Hmm? Uh, uh, Jupiter's Circle, too, is like a family drama that was like a little bit more reined in. Yeah, as long as he doesn't let himself go too far into the realm of kick-ass, it'll be fine. If he keeps the violence to a level that's, like, at least not gratuitous, you know? Yeah, Yeah, just appropriate. Yeah, because you're not going to get away from the violence. Sex is fine. All that's fine. Just keep it within the realm of we're doing this to tell a story, not because we just want to have violence everywhere. Uh, I think he's setting up a really interesting cast of characters, and I'm invested in this drama already, you know, in, in, in the one issue that we have seen. I think he's setting up something that could be really, really cool here, and I, I'm wondering how long this is going to go. Uh, I, I think with, this is a dynamite team. Koi Pell is one of the greatest artists of all time, in my opinion. And Mark Millar, I mean, he's no slouch. When he's on his A game, he's one of the best. Yeah. So this is this could be something epic. Yeah, and I, I, I think that is really, the I guess, the best note to leave it on is like, because I, I, I think Phil's concerns aren't unfounded, right? Like, we've seen the, the direction that Millar's stuff can go when it's sloppy. Um, but yeah, I mean... Here's hoping that he's getting all of that out of his system on the kick-ass relaunch that he's doing, you know, um, where he can do that kind of more hyper-violent, gratuitous, whatever you want to call that stuff. Um, and this is his space to do some of the more grounded, uh, you know, human stuff that he's been doing in the last couple of years. Um, yep. But I, I just – I did want to just call out uh, one more scene that I thought was really great in the book – um, it, it's, it's kind of like in between those two scenes that we had talked about with, um, you know, the whole, like when the two brothers are talking in the supermarket, I thought that was one of the coolest uses of magic where he just kind of shows up and he's floating on that little Nimbus cloud and he's, yeah, got, he's on Nimbus. you know, and he's like silenced the conversation so that they can talk in front of the other guy's wife. And it's just this very like kind of quick moment, you know? Um, it, it speaks a lot to, I think, how 
Malar is going to use magic throughout the book. And I, that is what's exciting to me, that it isn't just, you know, not to like throw shade at Doctor Strange, but right, like what was magic in Doctor Strange? It was superpowers, right? It's just like, oh, we shoot energy beams and make shields and whatever. And it, it, I like the idea that it seems like we're going to get into some more kind of like almost uh, like – I don't know, I guess, like, Lovecraftian kind of vibes with some of this stuff, you know, with, like, the monsters and the different dimensions and the, you know, traveling and, and uh, in the blink of an eye. And I, I'm into it, man. I'm, I'm into this. I, I'm really excited for the next issue. Cool. So uh, we'll, you know, we'll keep you guys posted on how this book progresses. Um, really good work for, for, for the start of this, this relationship with Netflix. So, uh, let's jump into the news. Like I said, big DC Newsweek. Uh, so much so that uh, there's not even anything Marvel to talk about. Um, but I think we're starting in a really interesting place because the next crisis for DC Comics has been revealed. And it is called Heroes in Crisis. So, Tom King uh, will be reuniting with Clay Mann, who he's worked with uh, a lot over the years, um, in particular on Batman. These two are going to be working on Heroes in Crisis, which is going to be a seven-issue crossover event uh, that explores the impact a life of violence has on DC's most vulnerable heroes. So Tom King, our hero, was on... The Late Show with uh, Seth, Seth Myers, Myers, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. Seth Myers. Yeah, is a, he was. Seth Myers is a big comic book fan. He always has comic book writers on his show. Yeah, oh, that's fucking awesome. I, I had no idea. Bendis has been on. Fraction was on. Morrison. Um, wow. Really? Yeah, that's right. Morrison Johns. was on. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, dude. So he was on there, and it was a very, uh, you know, it was, it was cute to see Tom uh, on there. You know, he's a he's kind of a shy guy, um, but. Uh, he kind of alluded to this announcement, and and now we're we're, we're seeing it in full bloom. Um, and so I, I want to let Tom speak to what this book is is going to be. Uh, so I'll read his words. I feel like I'm part of a rolling generation of people who spent their twenties overseas fighting terrorism. Millions of people cycle through that machine and come home to America. And I think that sort of experience of violence is shaping who we are as a culture and as a country. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that experience, the experience of what violence can do to a person, to a community, to a nation, to a world. So to add a little bit of flavor to what he's talking about in some context, sanctuary is a concept that has been introduced into the DC universe. Essentially what it is, is it is a place that the superheroes go after they've done their superheroing occasionally to sort of decompress to talk and, and kind of express their feelings about what it is that they go through on a day-to-day -day basis. The people that work at Sanctuary are not people. They're machines only. Um, the only people who run this place are Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. It's a well-kept secret uh, among the, the, the heroes. They they know it exists, but they don't talk about it. They're, they're sort of poo-pooed away from directly addressing that it's a thing. Um, and, uh, nobody from in the outside world knows that it exists. Uh, so the story in and of itself is what happens when sanctuary doesn't work. And one of the 
people who's supposed to be there cracks. And so it's a murder mystery where everybody at the sanctuary is murdered by someone. And the primary suspects are Booster Gold and Harley Quinn. Well, it's Harley Quinn. She's not a hero, so mystery solved. (laughs) No, that's obviously like the red herring. That's the one everyone thinks would do it. Right, Right. but by it being the red herring, that's what actually happened. So I watched Riverdale. I learned a thing or two. (laughs) So so Sanctuary is something that's currently going on in D.C. at the moment. Yes, there have been several references and allusions to it across the DC universe uh, since the announcement was initially made. Uh, and, and there's an issue of Batman where they take Poison Ivy to Sanctuary. Uh, Booster Gold gets taken to Sanctuary after some events that take place in Batman. Um, th- there, there's a bunch of different references and stuff. And what's interesting is that they take villains there as well. I think... Uh, I think in light of a lot of what's been going on and, and to Tom King's point, just in general about the generation that has gone off into the war and our, our generation where we are seeing like the, a violence every day across the board and we do have this sort of uh, constant uh, anxiety about Trump and the sort of our, our sort of our government and the way that things are sort of panning out. I think this is reflective of the sort of time that we're in more so even than like the the content necessarily like uh, obviously the it, it's going to be and it's it's going to be essentially what we all like superheroes for it's going to be a reflection of reality it's going to be a reflection of what is you know true in the world but through this uh, this through this other lens and i think it's even more powerful and poignant because they are superheroes you know they are invulnerable they are super strong but where they aren't that where it counts and where for everybody else like mentally, you know, and emotionally. And I think that's, this is, this is really cool. Like, and for it to also be called a crisis. And I don't know if it's like actually connected to like crisis in general, I think serves two purposes. And I think that's done pretty well. So this is a crisis in the vein of identity crisis. I was going to reference that. Yeah. This book feels like identity crisis in a lot of ways. Identity Crisis was a book that took Silver Age characters from kind of like a grown-up Silver Age setting, you know, the Watchtower era of Justice League, and put them in a very real-world scenario. And uh, that's a very controversial book. It's been a very controversial book for 20 years. Um, This book feels like it's in a similar vein, where it's going to take these characters and put them in a very hyper-realistic scenario. Um, and I know it's already have it already has some controversy around it as a result. Um, I think Brad Meltzer is a very capable writer. Uh, I think his Justice League was really good, um, and I know a lot of people like his novels. Uh, and obviously on this show we have like the world of confidence in Tom King's ability as a writer. So we'll see. I, I generally when he announces he's going to do something, I have a lot of faith in it. And the concept sounds really interesting. So I think it'll hopefully be better than Identity Crisis. Hopefully hopefully it'll be less rapey. I mean, that book is rapey. That's my point, yeah. yeah. If I could get 100% less rape, I'd be, I'd be very happy. All right. Uh, so I have to build off that. But um, <laughs> uh, 
I'm I'm very aligned with Marco on this one. Um, I I've been really excited about this since the initial announcement was made uh, about the center. I think it's like a really really interesting idea. Um, and I think the idea of exploring the vulnerability of superheroes, um, particularly in, uh, you know, the context of like mental illness is, uh, is really, really good and potentially really important. You know, I think in general, mental illness is something that, uh, we don't talk about enough in this country. Right. And, and not to, you know, um, take it to a political place, but I think when we talk a lot about the issue of violence in this country, um, I think a lot of it is rooted, rooted in mental illness, right? And whether it's, uh, somebody suffering from PTSD or, or, or what, what have you. Um, I think the root of a lot of, a lot of the violence is hurt ultimately. And, um, and I think, you know, I think a writer like Tom King is not only obviously a, a, an incredible talent, you know, we're all huge fans of him, but I think he's, uh, particularly well equipped to tackle this issue because he he's seen it firsthand. The idea of uh, what happens when when this mental um, health you know safety net for these heroes fail and somebody who's supposed to be a hero and a protector uh, becomes twisted by violence. Uh, I mean that's something I'm sure he's seen happen to uh, to people he's known and fought alongside. You know so um, and he's yeah, commented. I, I, sorry, right. he, He's commented on it in the past like he like. Omega Men, like towards the end, the sort of the way violence transforms you, and then uh, with um, oh my god, Vision, the way that sort of violence there sort of begets your mental state, and uh, even in, especially in Mister Miracle, like we're seeing that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, so and I mean, obviously, this is this is something that I think Tom King is uh, like truly exceptional. At doing, and I, and I think if any writer is capable of telling this story in a way that is um, well executed, but also respectful, thoughtful, and has some legitimate perspective on on the the themes, uh, I I don't think there's anybody else in the industry that could do it at, at his level. So I, I'm really excited by this, and I think to echo Marco's point, I think. Uh, having it be a, a crisis event um, is awesome. You know, that that is going to have increased attention on it, increased eyes on it. And uh, the fact that it is a story that's about um, humanity ultimately is super appealing to me. So uh, I, I hope it comes out as well as um, oh, the will. pitch sounds to me. It'll come out. <laughs> so I, I, I've seen some backlash uh, as a result of this announcement, yeah. there are people who think this is super goofy. Uh, that there's that that you can't have a nuanced conversation about this issue with superheroes, and that they should they, that this is not this doesn't belong here. Uh, and uh, I also I, I I don't agree with that, but uh, I think it's interesting that. This is the second time. So this is actually called Crisis. Dark Knight's Metal wasn't, but uh, DC wanted mm-hmm. Scott to call that uh, Dark Crisis. So they finally got their Crisis. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm excited because it's Tom King. I'm excited because I really really love Identity Crisis, and this is in the spirit of that. And uh, I think that that there's some good that can come from this in terms of it being a good story. Tom will handle this right. 
Yeah. For sure. That, I think that's what I meant, is that people don't think that superheroes were able to uh, discuss the issue of, like, sexual assault and, and like, uh, the capital punishment they inflicted on Dr. Light in that book uh, in a sophisticated way. Whereas, and that's where the that's where the concern is for this book as well. People, I, I think that's where the criticism is. But I think you're ultimately right. I think Tom King is a talented enough writer, especially on the subject of PTSD, um, to do something like this. I mean, mental illness is like a major theme in like almost everything yeah, he's written. Exactly. You know, like I don't All know. I have, hail I have the full king. confidence. Yeah. Absolutely. I have full confidence that he's going to handle it in a way that's tactful and respectful. So this this book will be out uh, September 26th. So, you know, we've got the whole summer to wait for this one. But uh, I that's a bummer. The Fall of yeah. King. I like that. I like that, actually. It took me a second. But um, uh, and and another huge announcement and shifting away from DC just a little bit, give us a little bit of a of a buffer. Uh, Power Rangers is getting a whole new creative team, uh, starting with uh, issue thirty one. Uh, but that's just the start of the massive change because there's going to be an entirely new roster as well. The the Power Rangers oh. roster is shifting, and this roster is. Uh, Buck wild. Yep. So the creative team is going to be Margaret Bennett and Simone DeMeo, who are going to take over the book. And uh, the 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 roster is just off the chain. Uh, I I at a glance can only recognize where these characters are from in the sense of like what team they re- they represent. But Kale, you probably know their names and stuff, so why don't you take it away if you feel comfortable? Duck Dodgers. So the, uh, I would be more than happy to tell you about this crazy-ass team. <laughs> uh, so it, uh, the, the image that we're given has, um, geez, I don't even know where to start because it's all just so fucking cool. Um, in the, in the center is the, uh, the pink, Ranger Slayer, who is has been featured nice. with the um, uh, uh, in in the Shattered Grid uh, storyline in Go Go Power Rangers, um, fight fighting. That's like the future Kimberly with like the crazy bow and everything, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. she a bad she, guy? She fights with Lord Draken. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Don't know what the hell's going on there, but I'm, I'm face turn. I'm fucking here for it. Um. The ah, I'm trying to go in order of like who I think is sort of less cool and more surprising. Um, so you started Kimberly. Well, dark Kimberly because she's in the center. The next one, uh, sort of up in the the upper right hand corner, is the yellow Zeo Ranger, who is uh, I believe her name is Ashley. Um, she takes over. Oh. Um. She's one of the uh, replacements uh, for Trini. She she replaces Trini, you know, in the in the era of Power Rangers where uh, Rocky, Adam, and and Ashley uh, took over for Zach, Jason, and uh, 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 Trini. This is actually Tanya. Tanya, that's her name. I think the actress's name is Ashley. That's why I was confused. Yeah, Tanya. Um, so uh, that's cool. Um, the. Next one I want to bring up is uh, 
the Green Ranger from Power Rangers Ninja Storm, uh, my favorite Power Ranger series, uh, Cam. He's the Green Samurai Ranger, um, and he he's sort of he's sort of the uh, the Tommy of that um, era of Power Rangers, but it's like uh, he sort of got the 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 generational foundation of it. You know, he doesn't just come out of nowhere. Um, below him on this image is uh, Andros, the red uh, in space ranger who um, I believe shows up in Mighty Morphin in Shattered Grid. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but he's um, my favorite. In 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 space, he is the one that uh, does eventually kill Zordon um, to to save um, the universe. Um. The most surprising for me is the appearance of the Magna, De- the Magna Defender from uh, Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. Um, this in in Power Rangers Lost Galaxy canon, this is uh, the Red Ranger Leo's older brother who uh, supposedly died and had this whole other life. He has like a, a Magna Defender son of some kind. Um, it's wild. Is that is that the one in the black outfit? Yeah, he's got the the horns. Okay. Um, and he's just got like a really cool lore around him. Um, and the last one in this image is uh, a ranger from Dino uh, from Power Rangers Dino Thunder. Who uh, is it Dino Thunder? I think I'm pretty sure it's Dino Thunder who um yeah he didn't he didn't actually air in the tv show um he uh but he was in the super sentai version of the show um so he's i think he's sort of like the the sixth ranger that shows up and you know is you know all tommy oliver about it and uh there's just because he's never shown up in the Power Rangers series, there's nothing known about him. What's his dinosaur Zord, do you know? I have no idea. Alright. Um, so this this team is just out of oh, control. Wow. And because and because they come from so many different generations, uh nobody even knows where this fits in. So the really interesting thing to me about this, and the reason why I'm so excited, is because we're leaving the original team behind. Their story will continue to be told in Gogo, but now they're blazing completely new trails with a team that could never have existed if it wasn't for Shattered Grid. Yeah. So yeah. they're not leaving Shattered Grid behind. This isn't going to be an event where it's like, oh, it's over now. Let's just go back to Angel Grove and go to school. This is like a massive shift. And uh, it's really cool because now they're creating their own thing with these comics. And uh, I really can't wait to see where they take in and what they do. I think Bennett is a, is a talent. Big time. Um, Big time. And, and uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun, yeah. I think. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so things are going to get rolling with the 31st issue of Power Rangers that drops in September. So if you are a fan or you're looking to jump on board, I think this is probably going to be an excellent place. Uh, the first arc is called Beyond the Grid. So um, 
continue to look forward to it. I know I am. I I am very curious as to how this is going to play out with the the Hasbro purchase of uh, the Power Rangers. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, there's still no news about that. Um, I think the whole transfer takes uh, takes place in like 2019. So I'm wondering if they'll get. So we're we're in the Shattered Grid event now. I'm wondering if we'll get this event. Uh, called Beyond the Grid with Marguerite Bennett. And I wonder if that will be sort of the the swan song of the Boom Power Rangers line. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what the license agreement was with them before the acquisition, because if they had it for like multiple years or something like that, you know, it would conceivably... Well, but Hasbro has a contract with IDW. Well, yeah, what I was saying is like, if the contract with um, Boom was for enough time we might see like a universal situation where they have like marvel character rides there still because x agreement ends in like 2020 and then disney can take it back you know so like eventually the power rangers are going to end up at idw no matter what but unless this deal maybe keeps keeps us afloat for like two years you know like that's not unreasonable um you know they might have done like a five-year agreement who the fuck knows yeah um that makes sense yeah who knows so, uh, we talked a few weeks ago about the ongoing Stan Lee situation. And at that time, we didn't have much more than several months of, of rumors and things that we hadn't really talked about that we kind of lumped all into one segment and, um, you know, nothing really concrete, but, uh, lots of, lots of smoke. And I think we've now found the fire. In fact, we definitely have found the fire because things are changing in the life of Stan Lee. Uh, so, uh, Bleeding Cool has been on top of this case for the last year, it seems. And now they've really made some headway. And now that they're able to report that Kia Morgan has been placed under arrest by uh, police in Hollywood... Uh, a restraining order has been placed against Morgan by Stan Lee, and uh, Stan is now with his daughter, J.C. Lee, and his lawyer, Kirk Schneck. So uh, there was a there was a release. Sean, um, just for clarification, now that was the lawyer who he'd been with for forever that got pushed out, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember the name of the lawyer okay. who had been pushed out. I'll try and look that up. But uh, so that there, there was a release, and it, it essentially uh, talks about the restraining order that's been placed against Morgan and um, the fact that Stan Lee himself has written, you know, uh, a document that talks about what's been going on, uh, and he expresses concerns about what Kia Morgan has been up to and, and things of that nature. Uh, so it, I, I'm not going to read the, the release. You guys can check it out if you want. We'll have a link to it. Um, but the great news is that now uh, Stan Lee is, 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 is under the guardianship of these individuals. Um, uh, so uh, real quick, I'm seeing right here, uh, comicbook.com has a report from The Hollywood Reporter, and it says that his former lawyer, um, uh, what was it? Tom Lawless has been appointed his guardian, uh, ad litem for Lee. Yeah, I was, I was getting to that. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Schneck is, Schneck is, I guess, his current lawyer. But, um, 
So, so this is great news. Everybody who's been concerned about uh, what's been going on with Stan Lee, now I think we can breathe a sigh of relief, but it also confirms a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about on this show regarding, you know, some of the some of the dark stuff that's been happening in his life. Oh, boy. This is a lot, huh? Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it, obviously, the, the headline here is just like, good, right? This is good news. Um, it's a shame that, it went on for as long as it did, but at least, you know, I, hopefully, right, he's in the hands now of people that care about him and are, are going to make sure that, you know, he's taken care of as he's obviously not in the best health. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this has just been a crazy story the whole time, and uh, it's it's good to see some resolution. And, Sean, um, Morgan was under arrest for uh, for elder abuse, right? Uh, no, I, I don't I don't think so. I know that there's a restraining order against him, but the the actual release, yeah, elder abuse restraining order. There you go. Yep. So, but there's nothing in this release that says what exactly he did, so we don't know. Right. I'm sure the full details of the case won't come out until there's been like a final kind of verdict or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't. I guess there's really not too much else to say, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to do this to put it out there that hey, you know, hopefully Stan's gonna be okay now. Uh, the villain has been apprehended, uh, the alleged villain. And yeah. um, I'm not, I'm not exactly a fan of his daughter from the news I've read, but you neither know, am it I. Is, right, his family, and hopefully. They'll have, but the Ohana means family. Well, hopefully, hopefully Ohana doesn't mean throwing a chair at you know your dad, yeah. <laughs> right? Who's in his nineties? Um, <laughs> well, and yeah, and and again, I think the um, the return of his of his former lawyer as a guardian as well is a really good thing because they've they've had a working relationship for a long time, so. You know, ideally, that's somebody who has his best interests at heart as well. And, you know, I don't know. Like, let's just knock on wood, right? It's about all we can do. So uh wish you well, Stan. And I hope that things normalize uh, from here on out. So uh, we've got an update in the DC Universe streaming service. Uh, we, you know, we, we've talked about this service and, you know, how it was sort of underwhelming with, uh, the, the different announcements about the shows that would be on it and whatnot, uh, and some of the vagueness about what exactly this would be. Uh, but on the podcast, James Bonding, of all places, uh, DC's community manager, Danny Snow, talked about the future of this streaming service, including when it would drop. So these are her words now. We are about to launch, I think, late August, our DC digital platform, which will be a hub for all things DC. Right now, we're working on getting everything from the back catalog of animated TV shows and movies on there now, but we will also be producing. I think right now we have foreign production, original shows, including Swamp Thing. There will be digital movies, TV shows that you can watch, streaming. We're going to have a lot of comics on there. There's going to be a lot of good stuff on there. So when we initially talked about this, we weren't sure if there'd be comics on there. We didn't know the release date. So this is a lot of big news. Marco, go for it. 
I did want to point out that uh, Sean brought up Swamp Thing. That's why. Uh, so I, I am in the clear now. No, um, no, you're not. He can bring no, up Swamp Thing, but you can't. Mm, mm, no, mm, most uh, definitely. He read the, the bylines, now. Phil. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the only person with the document is Phil, so. Well, Sean has Fair. it too, obviously, because he wrote it. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I'm still a little wary about it in general. Uh, I know when we, when we sort of discussed it, uh, a couple like a couple months back, I think, um, it was sort of nebulous and we don't know what's going on. And, and this still doesn't feel like a lot. Like, sure, they'll put on things and sure, they'll give us the shows, but uh, we don't know what this means for the impact that it's going to have on other shows that are currently in production and other shows and other movies that are currently in production. And so uh, you can back backlog, you can put in backlog stuff, sure, but... I don't necessarily know that there's anything confirmed for the future outside of we're we're bringing this thing live, and that still has me nervous. I also, I also, what I also find interesting is is that she says, "I think we have this, this, and this in production." Yeah, in production, and I, that's like she doesn't really, know. Yeah, <laughs> like well, I mean, she's she's the community manager, so it's like you know, she's not exactly necessary. Like, I, I get what you're saying, but. That's like that's not necessarily a huge role. Like that's like a social media manager, you know. Well, I mean, but I'm a social media manager for us, and I know what we're doing. Like, <laughs> that's fair, I guess. <laughs> she does say, I think, but also keep in mind, she's she's just speaking on a podcast. She sure, may, you know, she's not the the words and the verbiage she used that shouldn't necessarily reflect her reliability. I mean, sure. But she's also on a podcast like, uh, you know, uh, she's on a James Bond podcast. I'm sure she's there to talk about James Bond. But, like, as a representative of DC, you know, and a fan of James Bond, like, I, I guess I just don't – it's it's just weird. That'd be like that'd be like Kale going on that podcast and they're like, oh, so you're part of the Comics Pals? What are they doing? Fuck should I know? Uh, a podcast every week, I think? I think we have a video game channel. All right, we're getting a little in the weeds on <laughs> on the verbiage here, but um, I, yeah, but she she knows that there's she knows what shows they have in production, like she knows what's going on. She only right? says just she the, only says Swamp Thing specifically. Yeah, she, she knows that's the most important one. Obviously, she knows she thinks there are four series in production. But she Guys, definitely we, knows Swamp Thing's there. She definitely knows right. Swamp Thing. Okay. All right. Let's... Okay. So I think... Um, I wasn't on the episode where we talked about the DC streaming service originally. But um, yeah, I mean, I would say I echoed a lot of your original concerns. But I think that the uh, announcement that there's going to be comics on it is actually potentially really interesting. Because um, I think if they have a really good library of DC comics... Uh, especially if there's any level of, like, concurrent stuff. Like, even if it comes, like, six months later or something like that. You know, like, when trades come out or whatever. Um, that could potentially, I think, be really, really good. Uh, because I think, like, what you're looking at then is essentially, if, if the price is right, it's essentially Marvel Unlimited, only it also has a backlog of all the great DC animation over the years, and then maybe these other new series are good too. And if they're not, who cares? Because maybe you got in for the comics or whatever else, you know? And I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm i very skeptical of these kinds of, like, um, 
closed off subscription platforms like this. But it's it's worked for a lot of other people. I mean, like HBO does this and it, it's fine, you know. So like, why not DC? Uh, I think if that was HBO's it, original model, right? Sounds like um, Pete, you're trying to say it could be good. I I really think it could be good. Yeah, I think with the the addition of the comics, I that honestly is a, a an addition that makes me sort of think it could be good. And I mean, the backlog is nothing to shake a stick at either when you think about it. Like, that that's a lot of, of really quality content. Uh, like, when you think about how many seasons of television it is, if you add up, you know, all the three different Batman series and the Superman show and the Justice League and Young Justice and whatever else. Smallville. And Smallville, sure. Like, seriously, uh, you know, like. Lois and Clark, like all that crap. Like there's there's so much stuff you could put on there just to flesh it out. And if it also has comics and it also has these new this new stuff coming to it, who knows? It might be good. I'm I'm concerned with this idea of an August release. Uh they haven't done a great job of promoting this so far, and we haven't seen a piece of footage from any of these upcoming shows, as far as I'm aware. What? I haven't seen What's anything. What's the rollout? I, I mean, August we've seen the... Um, she said. Well, yeah. she thinks it's August. We have seen the, like, promotional images and stuff for, like, Teen Titans. Yeah, but I'm talking about, like, you know, there's been no trailer. There's There's been nothing really that they've put out. Um... To tell me that, hey, this is coming and we've got all this stuff that you should be super excited about. They haven't announced a price point and this is supposed to come out two months from now. I, I Yeah, and uh, the fact that we're getting news about it here is weird. Off a James yeah. Bond podcast, yeah. It's just odd. I would, I, I would, who knows? I would be willing to bet they launched with Young Justice is what I would, uh, is what I would bet they launch with. I think that that was a marketing strategy, you see. They're trying to get Sean Connery to be the first person to buy this service because it's the James what? Bond podcast, and he definitely listens to it. Boo. All right. Uh, <laughs> so I, I want to move on and, and hit some quick shots about what's going on in the DC film universe. Oh, uh, boy. I want this to lead into a larger conversation because there's a lot of moving and shaking happening in that world. First of all, let's talk about Aquaman. Uh, EW Entertainment Weekly had a huge uh, Aquaman expose where we got several pictures from the film, including our first look at the actor uh, on set who will play Black Manta, kind of looking at the um, at the helmet. His name is Yaya Abdul-Mateen II. Uh, that's the actor, um, and uh, he's looking at the the Black Manta helmet. Looks pretty cool to me. Uh, we got a look at Mara, a better look at Mara. Um, we got a look at Nicole Kidman as the mother of Aquaman. Uh, so a lot of a lot of pictures coming out of this, um, and and we got announcement that the trailer is finally on the way. That it's gonna be. Premiering at San Diego Comic-Con, finally. Uh, for a movie that's six months out, it's very interesting that there is no trailer. I'm okay with it, though. Like, that was kind of what happened with Wonder Woman. You know, like, it was... And maybe it wasn't six months, but I remember talking about it 
a few months out and being like, why aren't we seeing more about this? Why aren't they trying to hype this up? It must be really bad. They must have no faith in it. And then it was really great. Um, so yeah, I mean like I'm, I'm excited for the trailer. Uh, but I, I kind of like that. We haven't seen too much of it yet. I, we've, we, I honestly, we've, we've already seen more of wonder woman two than I, uh, would like. Because they showed Steve Trevor. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Because of the, the yeah. promotional images that have, that have come out. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Wonder Woman 2, we should use its proper name, Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, that's that's the announced name Pretty for this cool. film. Uh, we did get a couple of images, as Kale alluded to, uh, showcasing one showcasing Wonder Woman standing in front of, uh, I guess, a series of, of television screens showing various different uh, TV shows and things like that, like Dallas and... Uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, um, uh, and they also showed Steve Trevor wearing a fanny pack, looking a uh, very out of place. Yeah, <laughs> and he's back in the fold somehow. Uh, what do you guys make of that? It's called Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, that's very strange. Like the implications of the George Orwell novel. <laughs> oh, huh. Okay, yeah, well, it's, it's a it's a mashup, Phil. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh. Every everybody thought Infinity War would be the crossover of the century. <laughs> I don't even mean it the like most a joke. Ambitious crossover. <laughs> it's just like, is this supposed to be a dystopian film or some shit? I don't know the the image that they released of uh, of Wonder Woman looking at those television screens very very much gives me that dystopian not dystopian but the vibe of her being kind of like confused and shocked and it just it just echoes a lot of that old uh, I don't know the, the right verbiage yeah but also like that there's reason to be concerned about what she sure. says like yeah like the imagery is it's it's I, I'm not gonna say this is what it's invoking but it it, it like if you remember uh ozymandias you know watching all the television screens as he's you know destroying the new york city and unleashing his his you know his beast or whatever it like you know if you think about like that moment like that's sort of how it feels you know it's one of those in real life watchman was coming out in 84 wasn't it I, uh probably yeah i, I think 85 yeah. <sighs> interesting yeah, it looked like it looked like um kind of like something that uh Phil had mentioned when we first started talking about the sequel like potentially a spy series or something along those kind of veins of this is like co- post cold war stuff but like it's not post. No, it's yeah, not post. this is in the this is in the thrall of of the cold war. Uh that movie Atomic Blonde took place in a uh, similar like 80s setting. And to add, she's directly going to be going up against the Russians, and be she's involved in the Cold War. Oh, right. There you go. And um, just to take it back to your original question, Sean, because I don't think we really touch on it too much. Uh, I'm wondering if the whole Steve Trevor thing isn't um, similar to what they did in the original Wonder Woman TV show, where the first season was set during World War II, and then they were like, well, it's too expensive to do that. Let's have it be set in the modern day. And they had um, Steve's, like, son uh, be- become the new romantic lead. Is that true? So I wonder 
Yeah. I didn't know um, that. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if because because like you know there's mention in the first film that Steve had had other romantic partners so I wonder if maybe he didn't you know impregnate some girl and and that's what we're seeing I mean it's dumb but I hope that's what it is that I that I think that's I think that's real bad I think I'm with you uh, Sean yeah <laughs> I don't I don't want Steve Trevor himself back no me either uh, well I get him. <laughs> First of all, the the first movie takes place in World War One, which is in like nineteen hundred, right? Eighteen something. Yeah, nineteen. Yeah. <sighs> Shit, you're right. It doesn't so match up. it'd be his grandson, right? And they look exactly the same. That's stupid. <laughs> uh, so I really hope that that's not the case. But we're also talking about Wonder Woman, a character very much steeped in magic and wonder. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could bring him back. Do I want him back? Absolutely not. But that's why I hated the idea of Steve Trevor even being in the first movie. Because they were obviously not going to not have Chris Pine come back. And now they have to come up with a wonky explanation yeah. for why he's here. Yep, yep. Wonky as fuck. Probably some Captain America bullshit. I don't know, man. I feel like you could definitely look identical to your grandfather. Why not? <laughs> okay, do you look? Do you look like your grandchildren? Like my grandchildren? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one of them has, you know, real spiky hair and a beard, and you know, I walk around grumpy all the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Checks out. So, uh, shifting gears, we also learned this week. Uh, that, uh, well, according to The Hollywood Reporter, um, and they, they did a great piece about Walter Hamada. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. Um, but that he, he wants to shift gears with the DC Films uh, franchise. And one thing in particular that's kind of going on, and this involves Matt Reeves' Batman, is that they want Batman to be younger in this movie, which eliminates Ben Affleck from the conversation. According to The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Matt Reeves actually turned in the first act of the Batman screenplay over Memorial Day weekend, and that he was, in fact, younger in the movie. Is this the return of Batfleck? The Batfleck watch? Oh, it's been a while. Yes, it is. It's been a while. It is, it is. Uh, actually coincides well with a report that came out a couple of weeks ago that I chose not to talk about, which was that Ben Affleck has flip-flopped again and now doesn't want to be involved. Batfleck Batfleck Watch is still alive. Alive and well. The segment that just won't die. As long as there's a Batfleck, there will be the comics pals. (laughs) But what if there's no Batfleck? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Do you guys would you would you guys rather see the younger Batman or do you want them to continue uh with the older version? Granted, this is in the Matt Reeves films, not you know the the continuation of like the Justice League or whatever. So, but do you want them to continue with Bruce as uh as or Ben Affleck as Bruce or do you want them to go younger and tell flashbacks? Man, I just don't care. <laughs> yup. Yeah, yeah, Phil. A yeah, younger, P? a younger, a younger Batman means we're gonna have to sit through his fucking origin again. Yeah, they've only done his origin once. Side. No, I, I, I think, I think we could definitely get away with like a no Batman Sp- Spider-Man Homecoming angle of just like 
we don't need the origin. We all know who Batman is. Like, let's just do like a Batman year one story, you know, or like whatever. Or like, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't really care, honestly. Um, and and that's like not even like a dig at my level of excitement for this movie, which is like, you know, whatever. All these movies are either Wonder Woman or garbage. So we'll see what happens. But um, it's more just like. We've never really had like a young Batman movie, so like that could be cool. All right, yes, but we it, have. What do you mean? Batman Begins. Batman Begins. Oh right, duh. Yeah, but Chris, that's like literally Chris, his origin. But Christian sure. Bale is like eternally forty-five. So <laughs> <laughs> he does, like, that's the thing. He looks like a thirty-five-year-old man in that movie, at least. So whatever. Um, but yeah, that's fair point. Um, I, I guess what I mean is like. Uh, there's not like this isn't a super explored area of like Batman when he's still kind of like a rookie, um, which is that that'd be fine. But I also don't have a problem with him being older and and in the middle of his career. It's whatever. It's fine either way. Like just make a good Batman movie. That's what I really care about. You know, Sean, do you want younger Batman or older Batman? I don't want Batman. A rookie <laughs> Batman. <laughs> I don't want you, Marco. Turn uh, <laughs> this segment. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm very much not interested in seeing, you know, some kind of young punk Batman upstart guy. I want Batman in his thirties when he's already a pro. I want to see him taking on villains he's already met before. I want that kind of stuff, but I don't necessarily want forty year old Batman who's grizzled and jaded oh, over everything. My um, I yeah. <laughs> I I, I would I would like <laughs> kill laugh because he relates. I, I, I mean, <laughs> like like my you know the 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 Michael Keaton Batman, you know at its height, just like you know Batman's out there doing Batman's thing, like, and he's suave and cool and yeah, you know together not just like fucking depressing yeah. I, I mean, I had because I had I had resigned myself to Ben Affleck being Batman in these movies. I was thinking, man, this, there's there's a lot of cool stuff they could do with this. But if they're not doing that, then let's get away from that. You know, let's 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 not have that. Let's see Robin. I'd love to see Robin again. Wait, you're not doing I, the cool stuff? <laughs> Forget it then. Well, the cool stuff with 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 an old. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh so, given that you guys are thoroughly over uh, the Batman on screen for the time being, let's talk about the real meat of the DC week. Uh, Jeff Johns yes. is stepping down as DC's chief creative officer. Oh, boy. He is no longer an executive at, at DC at all. Uh, in fact... Uh, now he is getting a Warner Brothers first look producing deal, um, and he's going to use his um, his production company, Mad Ghost Productions, to write movies for Warner Brothers. Uh, he's going to continue his work on existing DC films, the stuff he's already involved in. So uh, Aquaman, obviously, that's already wrapped, but uh, Wonder Woman 2... Um, and whatever else he's got in the pipe. In addition to that, we learned that he's his first big writing job for DC uh, beyond what he's already 
sort of worked on is a Green Lantern Corps film. Which I I literally can't think of a person on the planet that I would rather write a Green Lantern movie. So yeah, the, let's do the that. The two things he's most well known for in his career is Justice Society and Green Lantern. If you're gonna have this guy do a movie, it's gotta be on one of those two, you would think. I, I already know who I want to play the lead. For what? The Green Lantern movie? Yeah. Okay. Ryan Reynolds. All right. Well, if I get, why are you just gonna take the joke from me like that? Like, that's not cool, man. I'm the. I'm setting myself up, and it's just like because I'm the best at what I do, and that's yeah. knocking you fuckers down. <laughs> Mark, you basically passed Kale the ball and said, "Please dunk on me, please." <laughs> <laughs> so. In addition, uh, we learned that he's going to be writing more, writing more comics, that is. Uh, Now that he's stepping down from the ivory tower, uh, he's going to be getting his hands dirty again. Uh, So he's going to be resuming his work on Batman Earth 1. Three Jokers, which is the story that's going to hopefully shed some light on this admittedly dumb idea of there being three separate jokers all existing concurrently in the dc universe um because that's what we need is more joker why so serious pete in a, in addition to a pop-up imprint yeah that he's going to be here we fucking uh, go handling yes uh so it's going to be called the killing zone uh not a great name is, oh never mind no it's like oh another imprint Marco. yeah killing zone marco mm. had a hot second of being real pumped about superhero yeah. comics and then boy it died <laughs> it's it gonna died, be focusing that's it <laughs> it's gonna be focusing on new and lesser known dc characters and titles like potentially uh justice society there you go Maybe the Legion of Superheroes. Hell yeah. These are characters that obviously uh, Johns is very invested in. No one has really touched them since Rebirth. And Johns is sort of the guy to do that. So it's a possibility that that's what we'll be getting under the banner of the Killing Zone. There you go, Marco. Ooh, that is Uh, is a bad imprint name. Man. Yeah, it's... I don't know why they went with that. But I, I do want to read a couple words from Johns. I took on a role at DC Entertainment because I love the characters and this universe more than anything. But I want to spend my days writing and on set. I'm thrilled to get back to a more hands-on creative role. It's a dream job on dream projects, reaching even deeper into DC's vast pantheon of characters. I'm also excited to continue to work with the amazing team at DCE and my colleagues at Warner Brothers. I'm I'm about it. I uh, I want to see him do more Shazam shit. Yeah, yeah. There, he's gonna be doing a Shazam ongoing. In fact, that's another part of of this announcement. There we go. Uh, that there is a Shazam on- ongoing uh, on the way. I believe it drops in September. Oh Damn shit! Dude. My my concern about this is this the rumors of that sort of swirl around like the the Jeff Johns Dan Didio conflicts uh because that sort of puts dan didio higher up in the chain and 
I have never, to my, you know, to my limited, you know, higher up comics knowledge, you know, outside of like the writers and the artists and, you know, who's in charge of what. To my knowledge, I have never really been a big fan of the things Dan has been in charge of. Well, uh, as it turns out, the person to take over the job of uh, Chief Creative Officer is not Dan Didio. Kale Ward. It is, in fact, Jim Lee. Uh, Jim Lee is going to be stepping up and picking up the slack, uh, which is really great for him. It sucks for us because it means he won't be drawing as much anymore. Um, But he did have these words to say. Thank you all for the kind words and support and encouragement the past two days. Working at DC has been a dream job, 20 years and counting, and nothing is more thrilling than new challenges and opportunities. My good buddy Jeff Johns and his amazing team have set the bar high, but we are all excited for what's to come. Jeff's been an amazing colleague and collaborator, and I know what he has planned And guys, it's just amazing. Amazing. Also want to acknowledge and thank Diane for her many years of leadership and for being a friend, inspiration, and mentor. He goes on to say several other things, but that's the gist of his message. Isn't that a demotion for him? He was co-publisher with Dan DiDio. Oh, he's also co-publisher. Oh my god, okay. Yeah, that's why he's probably not going to be doing a lot of uh, drawing in the coming years. What little free time he had just got turned into that job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, this is obviously a major shakeup. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think the overwhelming thought for me here is like, good for Jeff Johns, you know? Um, like, him saying that he's excited to get back to focusing on strictly creative work is like something that, you know, I, I have to imagine has been a struggle for him in this role. You know, it's like he, I think, was well suited for it, but because he had good vision not necessarily because it was the right place for him you know so like i'm excited to see him in a place where he can literally seemingly do whatever the fuck he wants now you know and and that's super exciting because uh he's an incredible talent and um you know everything we've seen him put his hands on whether it's you know doomsday clock this year or you know the few things that have really been going right seemingly with the dc films uh as of late uh, they've all been because of him. So getting to see him get his own imprint, focus more on writing, uh, get to do, you know, some more hands-on work with superhero films, like getting to do the script for Green Lantern, and then maybe even doing some other stuff that's not related to superheroes for Warner Brothers, like, you know, developing some new IP in the movie space uh, are all things I'm excited to see from him. Um and things that I think are probably a better use of his talent, you know, when he only has so much time uh, on this earth to create. Like, I'd rather see him doing that than be, you know, sitting in an office somewhere. Yeah, you know, he... Jeff Johns is like Captain James Tiberius Kirk, okay? When Kirk got promoted to Admiral in Star Trek Three, it wasn't really cut out for him. He wasn't made for a desk job. He needed to be at the helm of a starship. And that's Jeff Johns. He doesn't need, he, he's not a guy for the desk. This is a guy who needs a pen and paper and to be, get his hands dirty, like Sean said, so that he can create beautiful, beautiful comics and comic based art. Well, that begs the question where does he write? He doesn't write at a desk. Bathtub. In, in the bathtub. I was going to say, 
I was gonna say in a bathrobe, so maybe that's like there's a whole ritual, you know? Like <laughs> he's got the waterproof paper, he's right in the tub, he goes out to the bed, he's in the robe, he's got it. Maybe I should. So try it's for creation to strike. He's projecting his own fantasy of what he wants to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I I don't know, guys. This is interesting. Um, I mean, I obviously for me as a fan, I want to read more Jeff Johns. Um. And I think that we need him steering the ship at DC in terms of, from a creative standpoint, I think he's the guy, you know? Um, I'll be honest, I, I I love what Tom King does. I don't think he's the guy. I think Jeff Johns is the guy. Jeff Johns understands the DC universe better than anyone that I can think of. You can put Grant Morrison in that conversation, but to me, Jeff Johns is the perfect balance of the big emotion, the big action, the legacy, the new frontier. He he understands it all. And and I want him to be at the helm. So if this frees him up to do that, if he still wants to do that, then let's get that. Um so the fact that he's writing the three jokers is a great sign. I think a Shazam book is right up his alley. I don't know who would disagree with that. I'm worried about this this kill zone thing. Uh, it's a bad name. That's where books go to die. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, so my my one hope with it is that it's got a really really cool logo, and that saves it for us. It doesn't. It's like the name will always be dumb. It doesn't. But... Have you seen it? It looks just like oh, the no, D- there is a logo. It looks Fuck. just like the DC logo, but with a K and a Z. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it sucks. That's disappointing. All right. But uh, I I do want to shift the conversation because I want to have a full conversation about everything that we've talked about. And I have more context to include uh, regarding what's going on at DC that might change your minds about how positive these shifts really are. I want to lead this conversation... Uh, by talking about Walter Hamada. Brought him up earlier. He uh, is the president of DC Entertainment. Uh, so the the film the film side of it over at Warner Brothers. He's the guy that came um, in recently, right? Yes, he came in in January. So uh, we've seen several departures of late. We saw Diane Nelson leave. She chose to leave, allegedly. And we see Jeff Johns step down. Allegedly, that was also his choice. Uh, Walter Hamada is sort of the, the, the wild card in this because he walked into this situation already being what it is. He came in post-Justice League, a movie that did worse than Wonder Woman. But starred every major DC character, all the all the big heroes, um, and has to figure out a way to salvage this universe. So, uh, so far we know that he's got the two Joker movies uh, in the works uh, that are being hot shotted apparently, um, and we know about Suicide Squad two, and of course the movies that are already announced that are coming out. For sure, that we talked about, like Wonder Woman, uh, nineteen eighty four, and Aquaman. According to the Hollywood Reporter, it's possible that some of these movies, including the 
the darker films, so the Jokers and the Suicide Squads, could come out under a new brand name. Uh, DC Dark or DC Black. Now, for those of you who are paying attention, in the comic book world, DC already has DC Black Label. So it's possible that that black label could actually be something that crosses through the film and comic book universes together um, and just represents DC's more adult, mature storytelling. So the question in my mind with Hamada is, he came in in January, we've already seen him kind of shoehorn out several characters um, who have been major players. And we knew that a shakeup was coming. We talked about that on this show. And according to The Hollywood Reporter, Hamada does not want to do anything like having a, a writer's room or a group of, of, of writers and producers who come up with all the big ideas for uh, for these films. He's opposed to that approach uh, totally. Uh, but we do know, based on this report, that he has a specific idea for this universe, and he has a plan. Now, I'm about to stop talking, but I want to bring up something. And I want to start with my speculation. I believe that Hamada has asked Nelson and Johns to leave DC. I believe that he feels that they are two people responsible for some of the failures. I read an article that is not that we're not using, but I'm referencing it based on memory, that Jeff Johns rewrote so much of Justice League that it caused a friction between Warner Brothers and Chris Terrio, the credited writer of Justice League, because they weren't even using his pages. And that the disaster that Justice League was is in part due to Jeff Johns' rewrites. So... I'm presenting you guys with that. I want to talk about everything we've talked about today within the context of, is all this stuff really looking great for DC? Are they really on a path that is good for the company? And do we are we excited about the fact that Nelson and Johns are out? Is that a good sign? Uh, but is Johns out? Because he is doing stuff in the DCEU set right but he's out as an exec in an executive producer sense he's out in the sense like that as he a leadership have, role yeah he doesn't have power in the way that he yeah does. like he was like you know we had talked about how he had kind of taken the role that Zack snyder had as like the steward of the dc universe on film and it seems like that is no longer the case how long do you think they even really gave him that authority for like he was there for the supervision of of one woman the tail end of Justice League, which was the reclamation of a tire fire by all accounts, and presumably this Aquaman film. So, honestly, how much did he actually get to do? Because the way it's always seemed to me, as my voice cracks, is that <laughs> is that Warner Brothers has been getting in their own way this entire time. Um, they're the ones who hired and gave a strong leadership role to Zack Snyder, and boy, we saw how that turned out. Um, if anything, uh, what, what Sean's saying might be true, and I thought that on the outset of this, but the reality is having Jeff Johns return to writing comic books and writing screenplays for movies like The Green Lantern Corps seems like, if anything, the, le the least stifling thing for his creativity anyway. Yeah, because to me, it's not the leadership position that 
they need filled. Anybody can lead, anybody can steward, anybody can have an idea of a greater universe. You know, the guy that's in charge of Marvel, the Marvel films, like he is doing a lot, but it's also like Kevin Feige. Yeah, he's doing a lot, but he's also not doing that much more than running a writer's room. Uh, like whoa no i think i think that's underselling it a bit but well let me get to my point yeah getting what you're looking for is getting the talented writers on the movies like the movies are what they're having the problems with not the bigger picture of the universe i don't know if that's true either because i think warner brothers is having a lot of problems with their big bigger picture stuff too like I, I would argue that a lot of the problems come from the bigger picture stuff. Um, but then, I mean, because like even even still to that point, you got to start it with the movie. You know, you can't have a bigger picture without the movie. They didn't start the whole Avengers line with Avengers. Yeah, it was just Iron Man or 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 like a universe vision. Yeah, but that's I think that's the the concern that like Sean was expressing. Right, is like not anybody can have that vision because obviously they had people who had the wrong one. Um, and I think having somebody like Johns who gets it in the in that role is what leads to the right people being on the right projects and then being executed in the right ways. And I think um, not not at all to diminish uh, the importance of, uh, of of screenwriting, but a screenwriter is probably the person who has the least impact on how a movie actually turns out because you could turn a great screenplay into a shitty movie with a bad director or too much studio oversight or a bad cast um so even like yeah it's awesome to hear that jeff johns is writing the script for a green lantern movie who's directing it because if it's the wrong person if it's Zack snyder right it doesn't matter how good the script is um there's still a lot that can go wrong uh so I, I see what Sean's concerns are and like I, I share them like that that was what was great about having somebody with Jeff John's creative ability and vision in that role um but to say what Phil said I think for John's this is a good thing if it's a good thing for DC yeah that's you know, the real question I guess remains to be seen um but I I wouldn't say that I think them losing Jeff John's in that capacity is a good thing um, but I think that there's still a lot of good that he can do in these new roles that he's taken on that are maybe more in line with his like desires and skill set anyway. So hopefully the people that they put um, in his place and in these other new places, uh, you know, just have a vision that's aligned, you know, and that's that's in the right direction. They, they could always put Wilson Fisk in that position. He's got a vision. He does. <laughs> Could they get so, the rights for him, though? That's the question. Probably not. The, but the person they need to be trying to get the rights for, the person who, if I were Walter Hamada, the person I would want to get Thank you. Thank is you. Kevin Feige. Uh, uh, the, the biggest problem that the DC film universe has is that they don't have Kevin Feige. Because the idea is that, hey, a cinematic universe is, is awesome, and anyone can do this, and it's going to be great because people want it. But we've seen several different studios try this already. Literally Universal, no one else has succeeded. 
Right. Universal has the mm-hmm. mon- the the dark you the dark the whatever dark universe the mon with the monsters. Uh, Paramount tried it. Hasbro. All these people have tried it, and it doesn't work anywhere but Marvel. Yeah. And the reason Fast and Furious. That's not like well, but that's not a universe. Eight fucking movies. You're telling me that's not a universe. You can go fuck yourself. That's a. It's a a franchise. Now, Sean, that's not true. Now, obviously, we don't have the results yet, but Sony, they're on the right track. (laughs) I, 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 but they. I would also point out the, uh, uh, the Godzilla and King Kong. I was going to bring that up as well. Kaiju movies. Yeah, but that. That hasn't bared fruit exactly, it, like, right? I, I think to, Sh- to Sean's point, it's not on that level. Like, yeah, there's yeah. two mid-level success, like summer blockbusters in that camp, and we don't know what the third, fourth, and no, you King, know whatever. King Kong was huge. Yeah, that's that was a big success. Godzilla was. We have we haven't but we haven't seen them come together in that in that way. I, sure. Yes. Yeah. I, I yeah. I see what you're saying. I think they were both modest so, successes too. I don't think they were like huge, huge. And no, King Kong was huge. Okay. I'm gonna look it up. Let's no, move yeah. on. Be that be that as it may, the point is that as huge as Iron Man was, we weren't automatically saying, "Hey, they've got a universe now." It took it took time. it took some doing. So so far, no one has been able to do what Feige and Marvel have done. And Walter Hamada is trying to do that. Uh, it says that uh, Hamada and Toby Emmerich, who is the, the granddaddy at Warner Brothers, uh, don't want to anymore do what we've criticized them for, which is giving these movies dates well in advance of having any kind of screenplay or you know, big idea about how to make them work. We've talked about that ad nauseum. The Joker movies don't have release dates. Uh, the Suicide Squad movies don't have release dates. Batgirl doesn't have a release date. None of these movies exist on that level. And to me, that's a positive thing. What's not positive is that I believe that if you want to create one of these universes, it's not going to happen with guys in suits. It's going to happen with a guy who understands these characters. Kevin Feige comes from that world. Jeff Johns does too. Why is he gone? Diane Nelson is the reason that Jim Lee works for DC in the capacity that he does. He specifically says so in his in his uh in his acceptance of his new role. Why is she gone? But I do we know Walter Hamada's history with comics as well i mean we know he's no. a producer of big horror franchises and those universe those films and those sort of separate universes all work fairly well uh yeah i know uh, i google googled him just a second ago he's done you know the conjuring films and those are modest successes um and they've got a few a few different movies um, you know, in that in that franchise now, with another one coming out here soon. Um, but I think those are still franchise. Those are still franchises. Those aren't uh, homogenous, or those aren't like a combined force yet. And I think that's the direction that they need to take, and the force that they need to have is like, how do we take these franchises and make them into that cohesive universe? And who is the person to ultimately drive that there? And they're to Sean's point, they're taking out somebody who 
could be uh, equivalent to a Kevin Feige, and that could be potentially damaging. I, and and I'm not saying I, I, I disagree in the case of Johns. I think he could very easily be the, Ke- the Kevin Feige in this scenario. But what I'm also positing is that so could Walter Hamada. Maybe so. You're, you're right. He, he very well could be. There are some things that are promising about what we, you know, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to announce nine movies in a row and not know how the first one of the nine even did to know if they need to pivot. That's a great sign. Uh, to me, the big problem is, and, and this is just me, what I hear when I, when I see, oh, we're going to make two Joker movies. <laughs> That's right. We're going to do. Uh, we're going to do a young Batman and we're going to maybe do DC black label on film. What I hear is we don't know what to do. So we're just doing things and they're still just doing things and they need to stop that. I will like, I, part of me wonders if they're just announcing things to see what people's reaction is and be like, Oh, that one seems good. Let's do that one. You don't, you don't go to Scorsese just to test the waters. You don't, that's, you don't reach out. That's I don't need a Joker cinematic universe, folks. But didn't they announce all these before Hamada had stepped in? Because I, no, I remember you he, guys talking about this before I even moved here, like in, in my absence. So the, the Scorsese uh, Joker film, I want to say, was announced earlier this year. In fact, the 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 Joker movie starring Jared Leto was just officially announced a couple like a, a couple weeks back. Might have even been last week. Maybe it was just the rumors that you talked about then, but I specifically remember that you had talked about it in my absence while I was still in the UK. Uh, there, the, you know what? I just pulled up an article from uh, August 2017 that is talking about what you're talking about. And the only thing that it says is that uh, Todd Phillips was working on a Joker origin movie. Okay. That might've been it. So yeah. That's okay. yeah. Um, but yeah, those things are great concerns to me. You can't build in my opinion. And I'm still, I'm staunchly in this camp and I know we've, we've, we've disagreed with this. We've disagreed on this before. You cannot build a solid cinematic universe when you're still making movies that have nothing to do with it. I don't I don't believe in that. There's no there's no like overall direction like to what you were saying, Sean. They're just trying to do things. And it's like you you don't make a successful business or model out of doing things. You make it out of committing to an idea, centralizing all of your uh centralizing all of those ideas and then putting and piecing together a narrative and story out of those collectively. But right now they're just like sure they're throwing stuff against the wall, but they don't even know what they're throwing against the wall. They they just know that it's <laughs> that they just know that it's something, and they're hoping something's gonna stick. But the direction should be, hey, I know that I'm gonna be shooting this shit, and I need this shit to stick. How do we make it stick? Whether or not it's good or bad, the the point is that you need to have that cohesive idea in order to do that. And they don't have that. They just have this random stuff floating everywhere. That doesn't help anyone. That's a great point. I think you look at if you look at the Marvel slate of films over the last ten years, not all of those movies are good. Uh, but no one has, at least no one that I've spoken to, has questioned or had reason to question where is this even going? What right, is right. even the point of this? They they got we the know direction. What it is. Yeah. Well, because like even the worst movies 
in the, you know, batch, like, pointed towards something else and had enough strong things around them that you're like, okay, you know, like, I'm of the opinion that until Thor Ragnarok, none of the Thor movies are good. But when I saw the first Thor movie, it wasn't so bad that I was like, I don't know about Avengers, you know, because I was still high on Iron Man and Captain America. And it was fine. It wasn't Batman v Superman terrible, you know, like... (laughs) But we knew it was building to something, and that's exactly. the, that's the excitement, and that's the direction that people at Marvel, people looking at Marvel, goes like they know they have their shit together, and they know what they're doing. What whatever, fine. Thor wasn't good, but damn, I'm so pumped that Avengers is gonna be coming out. Like I get to see fucking Hulk punch Captain America, maybe. Like whoa, you know, like you need that in the DC universe where, oh shit, Suicide Squad, hold up, how's he gonna meet up with Batman? Wait, what's Wonder Woman doing? What the fuck is this Swamp Thing thing? Like, you know? Oh, I've never like, heard I don't say get that this. before. <laughs> but, but you need that cohesive idea. Otherwise, you're just going to constantly falter. I think especially with something as um, unaccessible as comic books, like Marvel has put in a lot of groundwork, and it's a thing I don't think we acknowledge Um probably as often as like as it sometimes is relevant to when you're talking about like these movies appealing to mass audiences like marvel put in a lot of groundwork before they got to the weird shit you know and it's like even with thor right like they explained thor in the most like plain like that whole movie was just like let us sell you on why it makes sense of the fact that thor exists in the same universe as iron man and like now that they've done that work they can do shit like the guardians of the galaxy or doctor strange or whatever because they've earned it and we trust them to um or at least general audiences trust them enough to say like all right well it, it's weird or whatever but they'll i'll get it they'll explain it to me yeah. and i don't and i don't feel like uh dc has done that they they've kind of taken the opposite approach where they're like well if you care you'll figure it out you know of like that whole like scene with flash in Batman v Superman that just goes totally unexplained and that if you're not a comic book reader went over everybody's fucking head. You know, like if, you, if you're if you a comic book person and you saw that with a normie, they leaned over to you and were just like, what's happening right now? You know, like, like, w- like should I be getting this? And like, that doesn't happen in Marvel movies. I, I'm a, I'm a comic book diehard and I was confused. <laughs> I, I, I feel like Warner Brothers honestly should just be focusing on making good movies. That's like that's the deal here. You people criticize and get uppity about Fox's continuity, but when you make a movie like Logan, it doesn't matter because that's like the pinnacle of quality content based off comic books. And at the end of the day, if Warner Brothers can make a film that actually is memorable in a good way, unlike Justice League or Batman v Superman or Superman or Man of Steel, I should say, then maybe they wouldn't be having these problems. But instead, they're too busy trying to build this extended universe out of nothing with nothing more than throwing shit against the wall and hoping something sticks. Because, like, it's a it's a money grab. Like, for Fox, they can make a good movie, but they don't have the franchises. They don't have the series. Marvel has a combination of both. They have good movies. They have that cohesive universe that rakes in money, right? And... Warner Brothers is trying to match that. They're trying to make, like, oh, if we make a cohesive universe, we'll rake in that cash. 
but that's not what's working because to your point, Phil, they have to have quality films, but they also need to balance that with how does this all fit in together? Well, I think uh, it reminds me of something that I feel like we end up talking about a lot in the video game pals where it's like they're like we live in a world with of trends, right? When a thing happens and people start raking in money, everyone else is like, well, we what do we have that we can use to do that? How can we capitalize on this trend? How can we get in on that money? You know, and that's not how you do it. And, and it, that's it, it, it does. It just doesn't work that way. And like every once in a while you have an anomaly. Right. Um, to borrow from the world of gaming. Right. Like for every, you know, like um, situation, there can be the Fortnite who copies the originator and does it better. Totally possible. But you have to be willing to put in the time and effort to do it better. Not to just try and play catch up for the sake of playing catch up and assuming that it'll work on the fact that you own IP like Superman and Batman. Well, and what it's what it sounds like to me is that that's what Walter Hamada is trying to do is he's trying to take it back and he's just trying to make good films. Is a two is is two Joker movies that move? I don't know. I don't know. I, personally, I don't think so. But I think Jeff Johns on the Green Lantern Corps, that's a good move. And there was another recent announcement about Suicide Squad 2 that I cannot remember. But it made me stop and go, all right. Yeah, I I, I mean, there's there's positives to it and there's, there's, there's negatives, right? Um, are you talking about... Um, uh, are you talking about the the Birds of Prey movie or Suicide Squad in terms of the announcement? Suicide okay. Squad. Um, I don't. I did, and like I said, I, I I don't remember what it was, but I, and and for me, I look at the whole spectrum. I'm looking at the DC streaming service, and I'm saying to myself, "Man, what like what is this?" You know, and I think I'm saying that a lot about what's going on at DC overall. The only place that I'm like pretty sure what's going comics. on is in comics. And, and even I, I would even argue the CW TV shows like they Greg Berlani seems to know. That's what, true. Greg, Those have been doing. He well. seems to know what the fuck he's doing. And that's cool. He's off in his own corner doing his thing. Yeah, they've got their Kevin Feige and, and Greg Berlani on the TV shows. Isn't that kind he's of weird? Doing, he's extended his contract for like six more years or something. How, and now he's involved in the streaming service. And my question is, um, how long is it going to be before somebody puts their mitts into that? Is he going to have mm. the same autonomy when they're literally relying on him to make this service work? Because I'm telling you that what's going to sell that service is going to be these shows. It's not going to be the comics as much as we love them. It's not going to be the backlog. It's going to be the new shows. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's just how it is. That's how it works. Yeah. So lots of lots of turmoil at DC. Before we close out, I just want to ask you guys a blanket question: Are you confident no. in no. the whole of DC? Wow. Nah. <laughs> I mean, okay. Uh, yeah. No. Like, I, but that's honestly that's been my stance since the New Fifty Two. Like, no. <laughs> like, Sean and. and- in order to not break rule eight, I'll let you. I'll let you finish your point, your question. <laughs> wow, wow, Marco! Full circle. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I I can't say that I 
I can't say that I have no confidence in them, but I um seeing how the the tables turned on Marvel over the last couple of years, I don't have confidence in anybody. You know, I think that like once you're on top, you make mistakes. Um and uh just like that's us. just been my experience as somebody yeah, sure. Um that that's been my experience when you're looking at markets that are buyer triopolies, you know? Um when one person, when one tide rises, uh, you often see a, a confidence and a um, a shift in tone that this is how things are and they're always going to be this way. We're on top and we're going to be on top forever. And it's when you're the underdog that you make the smart moves because you have he to. is the underdog. That's the thing, man. And that's the thing, though, right? Like we said uh, in comics, like they've had the uptick recently, but we talked about how many episodes ago where some things are changing there and it seems like there's an opportunity for them to be vulnerable again. And it's like, yeah, like I, I, I don't feel like we even really saw DC take the crown back before we're seeing the potential for them to, to lose it again. And that's not great. I'm still fairly confident in their comics output. I think the, the, there will still be good stuff there. I'm not, I'm not super worried about them from a, from a, publishing standpoint but when you talk about warner brothers time warner and and dc comics is like a company with shares and interests at hand the the reality is is their tv shows to a lesser extent and really their films is what matters from a business standpoint and that's where i have no confidence in them with those films that cinematic universe the way their chairs have been shuffling up top with Zack snyder and diane nelson and and now jeff johns i mean there's clearly a lack of confidence from Time Warner and what's going on with DC Entertainment. So, from a business perspective, no, I don't have confidence in DC. Agreed. And looming over this conversation, looming over everything that's happening in DC, is the news that... Uh, a federal judge approved AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner this past Tuesday, which could have very large implications for what's happening. And if I'm Walter Hamada, if I'm Toby Emmerich, I'm very concerned about making the the DC universe that I'm building into something that AT&T is going to see as valuable before they decide to either get rid of it altogether or shuffle the cards and say goodbye to those two, even. And so this is going to be one to watch for sure. And uh, I think the next couple of years for DC uh, are either going to be tremendous or they're going to be really uh, bad. And I think Aquaman is going to be a movie that is way more important than any of us even realized coming into it. Because that's going to set the tone for what comes from how willing AT&T is to allow DC to continue to do what they're doing. And so I'm excited, cautiously optimistic, but overall not not, not super pleased with what, what's going on over at DC. Um, but we've always got comics, and you guys at home will always have the comics. There you comics. go. So, at, at uh, least um, as long as there's a backflow watch, don't I mean, don't forget that. Yeah, we can't promise anything beyond. Yeah, that's right. Contractually. Uh, so, 
I'd love to hear you guys let us know what you think about these uh, these issues. DC's had a wild week, and we want to talk to you guys about it. So why don't you guys head over to Apple Podcasts and drop us a star rating of your choosing. Uh, you can also find us on lots of other podcast hosting services. If we're not where you want us to be, let us know so we can be. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us with the Comics Pals at gmail.com, and you can hit us with a random question, a buy or sell, or your comments on uh, anything we talked about on this or any other episode of the show. And last but certainly not least, we're on YouTube, where you can leave us a like, drop us a comment, share this with your friends, and subscribe to our channel, which helps us out so, so much. Super important for you guys to do that for us. And with that, let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you were still wondering, I figured out uh, both Godzilla and King Kong made about $400 million. Um, so pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. I was looking at it too. Kong was a, apparently deemed as a modest success. It barely broke even yeah. with its uh, cost. So there we go. Yeah, so me. Um, but if you guys want to catch some more content from me, you can find me on all of our other programs. I'm on the Video Game Pals with Sean, which posts every Tuesday on podcast platforms and Fridays over on our YouTube channel. So go check that out. Uh, if you want to catch me on our Let's Play show, Pals Play, I'm with, over there with Thompson from the Video Game Pals. We play Monday through Thursday. Uh, we are playing Vampire this week, which is uh, the recent game from Don't Nod Entertainment, which is the uh, team behind Life is Strange, one of my all-time favorite games. So uh, that should be a great time. It's going to be our probably our new ongoing. We're, we're both really into it right now. So if you want to watch us go be vampires uh, during World War One, go check that shit out. And uh, if you want to connect with me and talk to me about uh, DC or vampires or uh, all that sweet pirate fan mail uh, that we can't send Sean this episode, you can get me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Kill. You can find my comics on panelspublishing.com, selfie.com slash panelspublishing, and on Comixology under panelspublishing. Uh, Letty and I are working on something right now. Um, it's for a small publishing company called Hellcat Press. Um, I don't necessarily know that we can talk about it, but um, um, it's I just a, did. It's a t- yeah, it's a. I, they're not listening, so it's a uh, <laughs> it's a ten page horror short. Um, I believe she's finished with the art. Um, I'm gonna uh, if she hasn't hand lettered it. Um, I'm gonna have uh, Jess uh, do it. Editor in at uh, Titan Comics, Jess Jess Burton, my uh, my gorgeous and fantastic wife. My wife. Um, my wife. Uh, very excited about it. Um, I was really pumped to get to dive into uh, a Maori legend for this. Um, I I was really oh, presented cool. with a really unique opportunity getting to move to New Zealand and look at look into these legends and man, it was exciting. Um, I'm very pumped to to. Uh, put it out in the world so uh that should be coming up toward the end of july maybe august um obviously i'll keep i'll let you know um how all that's gonna shake out but um i'm tired of not talking about it so there <laughs> uh if you want to talk to me about whatever i'm on twitter and instagram at toto into that's t-o-t-o-i-n-t-o-w congratulations kale that's awesome news and uh, looking forward to it man We'll have to uh, plug that better on the show earlier on, so that uh, well, everyone hears it. Next yeah, time. I'll I'll do a proper sales pitch when when you know it's officially official. When he's not breaking embargo to do so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Right. Uh, Marco. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Animoto. As always, I'm always up to talk horror stuff uh, and anything Japanese related. So come talk to me. Phil? All right, guys. This is a good place as any to break the news, but uh, I'm working on my new uh, Joker-affiliated comics. They're tie-ins for the new Joker films for the Killing Zone imprint. You can go check those out. I promise you they are going to be very bad. You um, told me you had three titles. What uh, Can you tell me what they are? Uh, the Joker, The Joker and Friends, uh-huh. and The Joker and Harley Quinn. Give me three more. No, those are my three titles. I'm telling you. Well, what oh, okay. happened to Daddy's Little Monster? That has actually been taken away from me because it's too graphic. Mm, imagine that. <laughs> it was supposed to be a YA title, Phil. Uh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> um, and then uh, you can find me on social media on Twitter and Instagram at CyborgBebop. And I ask you a question that you can come at me with. Would you fuck a ghost? Tell us why the answer no. is a hard yes. <laughs> uh and as for me, uh, a very am, hard yes. Sorry. <laughs> I am. Uh, <laughs> I am on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Soapbox. You can message me to talk about um, DC. And, not uh, fucking ghosts. <laughs> not doing anything with ghosts because ghosts are creepy. So with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Ah, uh, scary. Guys, do you think Walter Hamada seen the Justice, the Zack Snyder Justice League cut? The director's cut? No. Man, that you guys stepped all over my fucking joke. You barely got it out. <laughs> yeah, don't blame us. <laughs>